This is Emsolation. Hello and welcome to another Emsolation conversation. You guys love these, you little thirsty minxes. Today joining me is one of my most favourite humans on the planet, Jamila Rizvi is the author of best-selling Not Just Lucky, which is a career manifesto for millennial women, and The Motherhood, an anthology of letters about life with a newborn, which I did contribute to. Jam is also the Chief Creative Officer of Future Women. She's a columnist for Sydney Morning Herald and The Age. You'll often see her on The Project, Today, The Drum, Q&A. She also previously worked in politics for Kevin Rudd and Julia Gillard, and she advised on media, women, childcare and employment. She was also named one of Australia's top 100 women of influence by the Australian Financial Review. She's also one of my very best friends and so, so smart and wise and probably the person I admire the most. Because you may not know or you may know if you follow Jam that over the last few years, she has been dealing with and living with a brain tumour and that has had so much of an impact on her life, but I've watched her bounce back after three brain surgeries, continue on with her life, continuing trying to make other people's lives better. And I get emotional just when I talk about her because she's just, I mean, I know this word is so a bit twee and thrown around, but she is such a fucking inspiration. So I want you to sit back and enjoy this conversation. It'll be meandering. It'll just be two of us catching up. Um, There'll be no real structure, but I'm just hoping to be able to tap her wisdom just for you to take away. Please enjoy my chat with the wonderful Jamila Rizvi. All right, she's coming to us live from her bed and that's how it should be. Good morning, darling one. How are you, Em? I spend <laughs> oh, a shit, lot of man. time. I spend a lot of time in this bed, mostly feeling <laughs> like you. Like you. No, no, no. You're trying to get yourself well and balancing drugs and medical stuff. I am just in a bad mood. That's, I don't really have any kind of, you know, I'm just not, I don't know what it is this week, Jam. I mean, I do. We're both in Melbourne. We're both um, in second lockdown. And for some reason, I don't know, I was okay day one. And then I've just, I, I'm not good. How, how are you going lockdown too? Uh, up and down, like everyone, I think. Like I'm finding mad roller coaster. I mm. fared pretty well lockdown one, I think. Mm. I, I didn't find mm. it as hard as I thought I was going to. And like, you know, I ha- still had a job. Um, I'd lost some of my income, but I still had a good chunk of it. Um, I mm. was physically well. We could stay at home. So I kind of, I think, was able to the first time around just focus on how lucky we were, second time, mm. just furious. <laughs> I'm, I've, like, I've lost my ability to go, no, you are extremely lucky. Be thankful for what you've got. I don't have that. I'm not thankful. I'm furious. <laughs> and it's like, who are we furious with? Do you know what I mean? Like mm. I don't even know who I'm directing this at. I'm directing most of it at my husband. Okay. And it's not his fault. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> This is going to be a great podcast. Oh, very healthy. Yeah, I don't think we're the only women doing that. But sometimes I hear things like, oh, party goers have been like fined in Melbourne because they got together and and I'm like, I want names. I want to go around to their house and give them a stand talking to at a socially distanced. I'm just, when I hear that, I'm just like, 
why are people still getting together? Yeah. Apparently there were a bunch of people who were fined the other day uh, who were having a party in their walk-in wardrobe in the hopes that the cops wouldn't find them inside the walk-in wardrobe. Like, who are you? And then there was the guy the other day who got stopped by the police when he was at KFC and he wouldn't go with them. He wouldn't, like, leave and go home until he finished his KFC because he really wanted to eat it in the beautiful ambience of a KFC rather than going home. Go home, Melbourne. Go home, Melbourne should be the new slogan. Like, not Victoria the place to be. Victoria, go home. Yeah. I've just, I just, I want this to be over and I don't and I don't understand why people would want to prolong it. And now we're staring down the barrel of stage four and stage four is so bad they haven't even written it yet. We don't even know what that means. It's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be pretty at all. Though the one thing that's given me some positivity the last few days, and there hasn't been a lot, but the one thing that's given me <laughs> some positivity the last few days has been that when I have been at the grocery store, most people have been wearing masks. There does seem yes. to have been a mask shift and mm. that makes me feel very excited. Sometimes I do want to bring the joy and I do and, and I deliberately get up and I, uh, I, take, I take the girls out for a walk and I, and I power through how I'm really feeling in the hopes to kind of trick my brain. But I don't know, this week I've just decided to honour how I'm feeling um, in the hope that it doesn't bite me as hard when I try and brush it aside. Yeah. But, I mean, yesterday my daughters spent the day together and they were laughing and they were cracking up and they, you know, they watched Bachelor in Paradise together. I had to walk out of the room because I realised I'm just too old now. But I was able to go, I mean, there's five years, nearly six years between them and now they're finally at an age at 13 and 18. And I was like, I don't think that would have happened if we weren't forced to be in the house. I don't think they would have spent yeah, that's eight true. hours together. You know, so I'm trying to – I am trying to find stuff like that. But also when I get up and feel shit, I just – and I said to the guys yesterday, to all my family, I'm going to have to sit on the couch today till about lunchtime. I'm, I just need to kind of gather my, <laughs> my soul. I, I just think that's really good, right? That's really yeah. important to be able to say, like – I'm sitting in bed right now while I do this podcast. Mm. I was sitting in this bed an hour ago when I did the morning meeting for work and I just yeah. kind of propped up the thing so you couldn't <laughs> see the pillows. <laughs> they all knew I was in bed. But sometimes yeah. that's where you're at, right? Yeah. And I think I sometimes know. you've got to accept that's where you're at and that's okay. Like my husband's been in a real funk the last week or two. Like I can oh, see that's so annoying. how flat Don't you he's feel like you have feeling. to say it's my turn to be in a funk? <laughs> like you, you have to always be on a turn though. I, I know, same. But don't you feel like you have to be on a funk roster with your partner? That's true. Because someone has to be like you have to somehow find a way to, for one person to keep functioning because if you both stop functioning, oh, shit. Oh, poor Jez. Also, we have a small person in our house. So my son's you five do. and he has yep. just more energy than anyone I've met yep. in my entire life. And yeah. because it's been pretty grey and wet in Melbourne, the second it stops raining, mm. we're like, outside, outside, you've got to run, you've got to <laughs> ride your bike, get the energy out. Like we're pushing so hard. But some days it actually has been close to impossible. So we've been trying to get him moving around the house, which has involved oh. doing laps up and down the stairs. But <laughs> the kid's bonkers. Yesterday he took off his clothes ready to get in the shower and each piece of clothing he would spin around his head going, woo, yeah, and then he'd throw it. And I was like, mate, that's not smart. Something's good. You're going to hit something. And he's like, no, I won't, mummy. I'm cool. I'm a cowboy. And he's spinning his stuff. Then he gets his jeans, spin, 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 smashes into where I keep all my makeup 
glass goes oh. everywhere, like all this like sticky stuff's going everywhere and I'm just thinking that's a lot of money. And um, he just looks at me <laughs> and, and goes, oh, sorry, mummy. Sorry. <laughs> and then he just takes off his sock and does the next piece of clothing. Like doesn't learn from the mistake. Nah. He seems okay nah. though. He's all right in lockdown. Yeah, he's fine. <laughs> he's loving it. Yeah, yeah. Elio's loving it too. My 18 month old, he's just looking at everyone, just like everyone's around him all the time. This poor kid. All my people are here. Yeah, when things do go back to some kind of normal and we're not all at him, staring at him at once, laughing and clapping at every fart he does, he's going to be very insecure. He's going to be <laughs> chewing food and be like, why aren't people clapping for me chewing? I don't understand what's going on. Let's chat. Let's chat about life and things. Uh, okay. You're writing 20,000 books. Um, so I've been struggling with the same book for a year and a bit now. Um, I'm well past the due date. I've started avoiding emails from people about it. You, on the other hand, have pumped out three in that time. Am I right? I don't think that's true. There's, I am working on a lot of books. <laughs> feel like you've got a new book coming out most months. How many books are you working on right now? How many books? Oh, she has to stop and think. What the fuck? Honestly. I'm working on four. <gasps> but two are basically done. They just haven't actually gone to print yet. That doesn't make me feel any better. You're so impressive. But Jesus one of them Christ. is a children's book, so that was a lot shorter. <laughs> I was less. That was less work. Oh, my gosh. Did you enjoy that? They're trying to get me to do a children's book. Did you enjoy doing I- it? I Loved it. And you, can I tell okay. you what the best bit about doing a children's book is? This is not appropriate. So you spend like however long trying to get it right and then you get to a point where you're like, mate, it's 700 words. There's only so much I can change. Like at some point I just have to stop, right? So you hand the thing in and then they tinker with it a little bit and then you get given an illustrator and then you just get to criticise the illustrator you just you get all, you get sent all these proofs and you say things like no that wasn't my vision for that character <laughs> or I don't quite like how the cafe scene is put together or and it's just oh. awful I mean I can't draw a hat you know what I mean yeah. and here I am criticizing this guy who's done the most beautiful work and I'm making suggestions I've got no right to be making suggestions no you do you have a vision I love that you've said things like that's not my vision <laughs> I'm just getting into it. But I'm so I've been doing that for the last six weeks, which is let's like admittedly not very hard. He's doing amazing work and I'm (laughs) telling him it should be better when I could never in a million years draw like that. So that's been really good fun. Well, that's good. And what are the other two you're working on? I'm working on a book with um, Future Women, my employers Mm -hmm. at Nine, um, which is very cool. It's called Untold Resilience. And we have sat down and we have interviewed 19 women who have lived Mm -hmm. through pandemics, world wars, depressions before. And we have talked to them about their lives and their experiences and what they learned. And we've kind of tried to take that and turn it into not so much advice but stories that I think will help support a generation going through difficult times again. So what did you learn from those 19 women? Oh, my gosh, so much. Firstly, I'm obsessed with all of them uh, and I want to be (laughs) friends with everybody and I'm really looking forward to this pandemic being over so I can spend some time with some of the women that I interviewed. Mm. And one of the most interesting things was that for the vast majority, not all, but the vast majority who lived through these major global events, World War II, um, fleeing Nazi Germany, uh, some who fled the Iraq War, the Indian-Pakistani War, 
uh, we have a number of tuberculosis nurses, kids who grew up during the Depression. For almost all of them, the biggest things in their life had nothing to do with the global events around them. The biggest things in their life were the divorce of a husband or the loss of a child or Mm. losing their parents or some kind of disruption that was devastating on a personal level, not a global Mm. level. And the Mm. only time that that was different was where someone lost someone that they loved during a war or whatever it might be. And it was just so interesting, I think, to me that you could live through these hugely traumatic times of enormous upheaval and yet it was still the really human stuff yeah, that made the biggest impact on your life, for good or for bad. Mm. Um, and there was something quite comforting in that, I think, mm. Um, mm. that as distressing and as upsetting as what we're going through now is, it won't be the defining factor of most of our lives, unless we lose people mm. we love, which for most Australians is not the case. This won't be the biggest thing. This will be a thing. Yeah. But it won't yeah. be the stuff that, you know, when we die in our 90s, that people are talking about. Yeah. So the other book I know you're working on, um, is that the one with Rosie? Yeah, there's that one too. Mm. Haven't done much on that lately. Got to do some more work. That one is, I think, for me, the one I'm most looking forward to reading. Explain that one. So Rosie Waterland and I are working on a book together uh, that has the working title Broken Brains because we haven't been able to come up with something better yet. No, that's... There's nothing better. You can't top broken brains. It may I can't be the one trying that sticks. to. It may be the one that sticks. I think some people find that a bit confronting. Um, Why? I don't because I'm someone um, with a broken brain. Your brain's um, not broken. Well, it is a bit. You have, you have the most exquisite brain of anyone I know. Thank you. The I problem mean, is it keeps trying to be a bit too big, so we have to cut bits <laughs> off it. You need to explain that to people who don't, who are unaware of what's happening in your no, brain. No, fair enough. Um, so about two and a half years ago, I was diagnosed with a really rare kind of brain tumour um, and that brain tumour is recurrent, which means they can't cut it all out and mm. it keeps growing back. Um, so mm. it's growing back three times so far. Mm. So how many brain? so you've had three brain surgeries? I've had two brain surgeries and radiation. Two brain surgeries. Mm. Um, just casually. Just casually. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was totally casual mm. at the time. I yeah, was totally not casual. even scared or worried or anxious or lost my shit entirely. That did not oh, happen. You were Walk in the park. Very, you were impressive and incredible and resilient. And I looked to you so many times whenever I was feeling like something was going to get on top of me and I would think of you straight away and be like, well, no, because look what Jamil is doing, for fuck's sake. Yeah. You underestimate... How fucking resilient and strong you have been over the past two and a half years. I don't think you give yourself enough credit. I don't. I just, I want to say this to you as your friend. I'm not trying to be modest. I just genuinely don't think I have been very resilient or brave. I've been terrified. I have been terrified. I have lost it entirely several times. But you're still here. And for me, the definition of brave and resilience is even though you're scared, continuing on, it doesn't stop you. You haven't, you haven't closed yourself off to life. You still live it with such gusto and you still put things out there and you work harder than anyone I know. And I just, you in my life, and whenever anyone asks me, you know, who do you admire, your name always comes out first because I can't think of anyone who has all the attributes of a person that I would that I want and need in in life. So, well, I mean, that's bloody lovely. No, but it's true. I don't know. I just feel like if someone says to you, if a very smart doctor says to you, you will die unless we have a brain surgery. 
saying let's have brain surgery then is not very brave because the alternative is not attractive. Do you know what I mean? It is. It still is because you didn't let it consume you and you haven't. I don't know. I know, I'm, we've, I know we've never really had this conversation in public, but, yeah, I'm, I just – the last two and a half years for you have been extraordinarily challenging. And here you are. You sit here in your bed chatting to me, still able to laugh, still able to hang out with Raf and Jez and still able to work and, and wanting to make the world a better place for people in general. You're always looking for ways to better women's lives. And if it were me, I'd be like, fuck everyone – everything's bad and I'm going to feel sorry for myself for the rest of my life. I don't think I would be able to carry on as you have. I actually really disagree with that because I think you <laughs> would. I don't think everyone would, but I think you would. Um, I have no question that you would probably be quite similar to me. You'd crawl into a hole for a short period and then go, <laughs> enough with that, time to stop, which at some point you've kind of got to. And to be honest, I, like the hole is open. If you know what I mean? I, the, yeah. the dark hole I know. is sitting here in the bedroom and whenever I need it, I just come back and have a little bit of time in the dark hole. Same, and I same. do feel sorry for myself. Good. And you should. Because I've been remarkably unlucky. Um, you have. At the same time, I've also been remarkably lucky. And yeah. I, I don't mean that in that kind of, you know, Pollyanna, I'm so no. lucky to have survived kind of way. But the way I've come to terms with it is I was born with this. It was always yeah. in my brain. It was part mm. of my DNA as a baby. So I don't mm. exist without this condition. Do you know what I mean? The human oh. being that is me, yeah. those particular strands of DNA can't be separated from this stupid brain tumour, unfortunately, which means that I don't get to be alive without it. I think that's kind of helped me move to a place of going, okay, well, at almost any other time in human history, in a lot of other nations... I wouldn't get to still be alive. Mm. It's rare to live in a country like this one. You know, if I'd lived in the US as a freelance Mm. journalist, Mm. I mean, it would have cost, it would have cost me no exaggeration, at least a million dollars for the surgeries that I've had. Whereas Mm. here in Australia, completely different scenario. You know, it's still expensive, but you're well looked after. You're not going broke over it. Yeah. And there are things they can do. I mean, my first Mm. brain surgery, they put cameras up my nose and they did it through my nose. That's how smart mm. the doctors are. So yeah. there's a little bit of like, well, I'm really thrilled that I'm alive now <laughs> rather than 100 <laughs> years ago when they wouldn't have known how to do that. Yes, yes. Well, I think that's an extraordinary attitude. And if you've done therapy, counselling around all of this, is that how you... Yeah. You, good, because I love <laughs> encouraging the Emsolation listeners to do that. I'm, we are a pro therapy, pro-mental health, pro-activity. So were you doing that quite regularly? I was diagnosed on a Monday after Mm -hmm. having a scan on the Monday morning. On the Wednesday, my husband walked me into my psychologist and sat down with me and he sat down with me for the first session. And then I probably saw her once a week at least until the the Mm -hmm. first surgery, Mm -hmm. sometimes more. Yeah, good. Um, After that, I saw her less but continued to see her. Um, And then I dialed it up again before the second surgery. Through radiation, I was actually pretty steady. I think by then I'd worked out what worked for me to get me through those periods. And Mm -hmm. I also found radiation a lot less scary than surgery. Um, For whatever reason, my brain was much more, and by that I mean my emotional brain, (laughs) was much more comfortable (laughs) with that idea. Um, But absolutely, I don't think I would have walked in. Like I actually don't think I would have walked in to have the surgery without 
having a psychologist who was amazing and supportive and very kind and listened to a lot of fear, like a lot of really deep-seated fear. Yeah, and that's the all-consuming emotion, isn't it? It's the fear. It's the fear that gets you yeah. in the end. It's the, it's the fear that wakes you up at, or, or you can't even sleep. You're just laying awake at 2 a.m. And I always find I'm super brave during the day, like I can mm. do anything. But the minute the yeah. house is quiet and dark, I just panic. And I, I mean, nowhere near what you are panicking about. But for me, it's always things like I need to quit my job in the media. I'm exposing my children and I need to stop, you know, saying everything and I need to just go and work quietly in a nursery somewhere and, you know, I worry that stuff's going to come out about me from when I was in radio because, you know, everyone says I was a complete bitch to work for and but that all that stuff has already come out anyway. I don't know what else they could write about me. But I do, all of my darkest fears hit me at two and I think what therapy does, it, it does give you some tools to help you deal with the 2am yeah. spin outs. yeah. Is that what you found? I, I think that's absolutely true. And then the other thing that I think is important is one of the things I find with all my mates, with anyone I work with whenever I talk about this stuff, is there will be this, I mean, I've never been through anything like you have. Mind. Yes, you have. When No, people say that to me, sorry. Oh, so, <laughs> I was going to say, no, exactly. I remember a time where you were <laughs> getting attacked in the media for saying something completely reasonable to Steve Price, but we'll move on. <laughs> um, but that's what people tend to say to me and they try to minimise yeah. their problems or their fear yeah, or their anxiety because yeah. they go, oh, my God, I haven't had brain surgery. I haven't had to mm. sit there and face my mortality kind of thing. Here's mm. the thing. Before I got sick, my life was pretty good. And pretty stable. Yep. And yet I had yep. still had nights where I was incredibly scared. I had yeah. still had nights where I felt like I would never get through the anxious period that I was experiencing. I, like yeah. I think with the, the physical health stuff is different. Yes, mm. there is a spectrum. If you cut your mm. finger right now and need a Band-Aid, it's not as bad as what I've been through. Um, yeah. However, on the mental health side, mental health is in part responsive to what's going on in your world and in part completely unrelated. Like it just Mm. moves to a stratosphere of fear Mm. or anxiety or depression that is often completely disconnected from reality. So I I, I feel like with mental health, it's less about how bad the thing you're going through actually is. It's about how bad you feel. So it it doesn't actually matter what it's connected to. You don't have to... If you're feeling those horrible, anxious feelings, that's the worst bit. And I will tell you this, and for any of your listeners who are going through mental health stuff, I have Mm. had two brain surgeries and radiation. I would do the actual surgery and physical recovery 10 times over before I had to live those three months of intense anxiety before the first surgery again. I would take the surgery and the recovery Mm. 10 times over Mm. before I had to do the mental health bit because that was the hardest Mm. bit. And mm. it didn't matter what that was about. It was the going through it that was awful. I feel like that's important to just validate what people feel. It's not a competition, I guess. And also it doesn't matter what the flavour of anxiety is. The anxiety is there. It doesn't matter what's causing it. It's that physical, it's that yeah. feeling of dread. It's just I. sometimes I'm really good and then sometimes it's crippling. Like it just yeah. takes my breath away. And I feel my skin's all itchy and I pace around the house and I pick fights with people and it's been happening a lot lately and I think I spiral when I I can't control what's going to happen, when I don't know what's happening. I'm really good when I'm able to kind of plot things and be in control of stuff and because I had to cancel all my shows and because I've, I've kind of lost control of my career a bit, that's really been affecting 
me and so I've got more time to think and more time to spiral. Mm. And so I think this time, especially if you're in lockdown in Melbourne and you have mental health challenges, it's it's important to take care of yourself at the moment, like right yeah. now because, yeah, it's – and prioritise oh. yourself, right? Yes, that's not easy. We're all trying to do so much stuff and take care of yep. so much stuff and look after so many people. Yeah. It's easy to get distracted in it. And I think the other thing is making time for your way of dealing with things. Before that first brain surgery, I tried to look after my mental health in the way I thought you were supposed to look after your mental yeah. health. So I did yeah. a, a lot of meditation, a lot of acupuncture. I took three weeks off work. Worst thing I could ever have done for me. <laughs> Not for other people necessarily. I like working. You working do like working. helps distract me. And that's not the case for everyone. No. But do what works for you, not what works yes. for other people. And I think I found so the true. second surgery easier because I did what works for me and I worked until the day I went into hospital. I remember doing this thing on stage for Melbourne Writers' Festival and I was with Rosie, actually, who I'm writing the book with, and she just dropped into conversation. By the way, everyone, Jamil's having brain surgery tomorrow. Oh just That's so, so Rosie. Yeah, you know, <laughs> uh, which is fine. And everyone kept saying, well, why are you here? And I was like, well, where else am I supposed to be? Yeah, I'll just be at home freshing otherwise. Yeah, it's so panicking. true. I'd rather be here <laughs> working, living my life as if tomorrow I'm doing something and then I will be back doing what I normally do. Yeah. And that's this. So what's Rosie's portion of the book? Is it um, – her mental health? Yeah. So we're essentially trying to compare the way the world responded to me being very physically mm. unwell and the way mm. the world responded to Rosie's mental ill health. So we look mm. at the way partners responded, the way parents responded, the way children respond, the way friends and animals respond. We look at how, and then we kind of go to the medical system, how doctors respond, how nurses respond, how insurance companies respond differently and then we mm. also go to the self, so how your body responds differently, how um, your faith might respond differently, um, the wellness industry, things like that. So the whole mm. idea is to kind of do this comparison of the of the two, mm. hopefully to give people that sense of understanding that we create this kind of false dichotomy, like this physical yep. health over here and mental health over there, whereas mm. firstly one doesn't sit above the other. Mm. They're equally as serious. Um, in Rosie, in my case, with the particular mental illnesses she's been diagnosed with, she's actually statistically as likely to die as I am from the mm. type of brain tumour I've got. But we God. don't treat her illness no. as seriously as mine. People don't respond in the same way. That's so true. If someone said, I've got bipolar, and then the next person next to them said, I've got a brain tumour, just instinctively straight away, even in my heart, I know what you've just said is correct, I would lean into the person with the brain tumour. Because you've been taught to your whole life. That's you've been the taught one's yeah. more serious. Um, yeah. And the other thing and the point I think we're almost learning as we write the book is that mm. the dichotomy in the first place is a false one because being physically unwell causes mental health issues, certainly did for mm. me, or at least mm. exacerbates them. Being mentally unwell can cause really serious physical health problems. Yeah. So, like, it's we draw this really stupid false line between the two. Like, they're in, mm. completely interconnected. Your brain is part of your body. <laughs> it's very important part. It's a, just key, I would say. God. Wow. <laughs> Look, I'm really glad that we lightened things up 
Um, we really like the mood. <laughs> Jam and I, when we get together, are a barrel. No, I did say to people, I do, you know, I do ironically talk about all this brain talk. I do often like to pick your brain on things. But before you go, um, please, I get a lot of messages from women about imposter syndrome, and you've done a mm. lot of work in this area. And I wanted to get you on the record for my listeners about imposter syndrome and your your study of it and helping people kind of identify and work through it. Mm. Why do women have imposter syndrome and more, more, more than men? Yeah. <laughs> Why is that a thing Way for more. us? Way more. Yeah. Um, in fact, it's quite unusual for men to experience really severe imposter yes. syndrome. It does happen, mm. but um, mm. it's, it is unusual. Uh, mm. Whereas with women, I think it's actually close to the norm. Yeah, it is. It's amazing. Like we do Q and A's, and we and people send in stuff for Scott to talk about. And I would have had over three hundred on that topic. People asking about it. So, what is it in, about women and how we are that makes that such a problem? I don't think it's anything to do with how women are born. Mm. It's about how girls and women are socialized. And yeah, I could talk about this for far too long. But essentially, <laughs> from birth, we socialize boys to be brave and to be bold and to be confident. And we socialise little girls to be liked. Oh, 100%. Yes, girls to be liked and boys to be respected. I believe someone did a really amazing show about this. I Um. did. Me. It's true. I did. Yes. And imposter syndrome comes back to that, which your listeners are going to be super familiar with. Yeah, absolutely. This sense that I need to be validated externally to have the goods. Do you have a lot of, I I have this with a lot of my friends when they want a promotion or they want the next thing, they think they need to go out and get 20 more qualifications. They're like, I think I need need another seven masters before I apply for that job. You have more friends going for masters than I do. I probably only know two people currently going for masters. You would know about 15, but I certainly have friends of mine will question if they have the goods, you know, if, when they are overqualified for what they're trying to do. And what usually what women will need is external validation. They need someone yep. else to say, and that's what, to be honest, that's what a degree is. It's an <laughs> institution saying to you, yeah. yes, you are good at that. The yeah. thing is you were probably pretty good at it anyway, right? Yeah. There's yeah. learning that goes along with it, absolutely. But that external validation is what we seek because we don't feel like we can give it to ourselves because we've been mm. taught our whole lives not to be that bold, arrogant, ownership kind of uh, Mm. attitude to life, but instead an Mm. attitude that makes yourself likable. And people Mm. don't like successful women. No, they don't. We don't don't like successful women. That's a horrible thing to say out loud, but it's true. They don't. Men get to be liked and Mm. successful. Women get Mm. to pick one or the other. You have to choose. (sighs) You're hitting home. And if you choose successful, (laughs) you choose an element of dislike. And I think imposter syndrome comes back to that. It comes back to our uncomfortable feeling about holding mm. a position of power and authority mm. that other people might want. So we question our ability or our right to be there in the first place and we start to think someone's going to find me out. One day, yeah. I've just been lucky until now, one day someone's going to go, actually, I don't know who you think you are, Em. You aren't good at any of these things. You need to no. go to stage left and stay there, please. I oh, know. Yesterday I got some feedback that, you know, there was a general vibe about me in a certain sector of the entertainment industry that um, I'm impossible and and I, I'm no one wants to work with me. And I drilled down on that with that person who gave me the feedback and I said, well, could you explain that more? And essentially it boiled down to the fact that I said no too much. 
Mm. I made them drill down even further and it was because I have a very strong sense of mine, who I am and what I will or won't do and what I want people to see me doing and why am I doing things. Like I, I, I'm not a ple- – I'm a pleaser in a sense that I'm a performer but behind the scenes in business and in radio and in TV, if I think something's not worthwhile, I yep. say it. Yep. Whereas I think women are expected to just do it. And especially in a competitive industry like like TV and radio, there are so many people who want in that I think women have been taught the way to move ahead is to smile and wave and be very pretty and um, not make waves. Whereas I'm just fucking making tidal waves every time I walk into a room. So I keep getting told you're making it hard for yourself. You're making it hard for yourself. But I just... And yesterday I was – I know today I'm still feeling flat over this idea that I'm an impossible bitch to work with and awful and mean and difficult. Um, but then I have to think about how much of that language is just because I'm a woman and if I was mm. had the same behaviour and was a bloke, I think I would just be considered a good leader and assertive and proactive. Well, so, have you ever heard a man called difficult? No. Or opinionated. When was the last time you heard a man called opinionated? And that gets said about, oh, she's really opinionated, like that's a derogatory thing. And I'm like, oh, How about the word ambitious? She's very ambitious. She's ambitious. Ambitious is a good word. It's It's good good to be ambitious. It's good. But I just jam, I'm 41. When? Please tell me, when am I going to stop being so hurt when people say those things? Because I know they're not true. I know that inside, I'm very flawed. We all are. I know I'm a good person and I know that I'm not mean, but I do know I'm very direct. But it still hurts my feelings. Like I'm back at school yeah. and someone said, oh, you're a bitch and you're a smelly wog and no one wants to be your friend and you've got a big nose and all the things that you get said to me. I, I still revert back to that hurt 12-year-old girl crying at home in her bedroom when I get this professional feedback. And yeah. when are we going to get to a point where women are okay with being like I am, like, and sometimes I am strong, decisive, can say no. Do you know what I mean? Like, when does that happen? <laughs> I suspect we won't live to see it, my love. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> You're the smart sorry. one of this friendship. I'm sorry. <laughs> Give me some hope. I'm sorry. Stereotypes are a problem because Ugh. when a stereotype exists, we create a very narrow box for what a person is permitted to be. And when mm. you stray outside that box, people don't like it. No. And you are straying outside the box. I know. I know. And that is not to say straying outside the box is bad, but the reality is that stereotypes require that if you're not being what people expect of a woman performer, Mm. they will punish you for it. Mm. But I also think at the same time as saying that, and I should say firstly those stereotypes hurt all kinds of people. They hurt Mm. people. Someone said to me the other day, So I live with a whole number of disabilities since being six, a whole bunch, right? And I said something the other day and I said offhand, well, you know, I think I said as a woman, as a disabled woman, and someone said to me, oh, don't don't talk about yourself that way. And I was like, it's a fact. I'm not talking myself down. I don't think it's Mm -hmm. a bad thing. It's just Mm -hmm. me explaining something. Like I'm not, I'm, I'm not calling myself a bit shit. I'm just, no, I'm just talking (laughs) about. But I get you right. The way people view the word disabled yeah all my hormones don't work guys if I don't take yeah. drugs in the morning I will be dead within 48 hours like but yeah. that counts as being Jesus disabled Jen. Oh, it's all right I've got lots of the drugs I stockpiled them when everyone else stockpiled the toilet paper <laughs> <laughs> thank god but no, I'm getting back on track 
those yeah, stereotypes go. of what, you know, a good little Asian girl should be, of what a gay man mm. should be, of what mm. a woman who's a performer should be, all of those mm. stereotypes hurt us because unless you subscribe to exactly that and then we spend all our time trying to fit ourselves into that tiny little narrow box that mm. no person actually fits into mm. and we're punished when we don't fit into it or when we at least don't try to fit into it, that hurts. Of course that hurts. You've been told your whole life to crave acceptance and crave people liking you. That's what you've been told is your value mm. as a woman. Of course it hurts when you don't get it. But the other reality mm. is that every trailblazer who's ever lived in this world was someone who broke stereotypes. Mm. We don't remember mm. the people who complied with the stereotype. We remember the people who didn't because they were yeah, the ones who made change in the world and good change. Probably bad change too. Don't be one of them. Definitely. Hitler I think probably I've done a not bit of both. a stereotype, you know? Like don't. There are bad ones too. But let's break the stereotypes in a good way. Trying. Don't put my quotes on a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> So before you go, what do you say to a woman who says, I just got this because I'm lucky or I don't deserve it? Like what do you say to that person? I really don't like the word lucky unless you, you won a lottery. You hate the word lucky. Unless you won a lottery or something that was actually <laughs> about luck, I have a real problem with the word lucky. I do. Um, I do. Women tend to use words like lucky the same reason we use words like sorry. Um, yes. We are using words like lucky to say to people, I know I was successful or I know I got the job, or I know I did well, please don't hate mm. me because I did. That's what we mean. <gasps> Dropping truth bombs. That is what we mean when we call ourselves Dropping lucky. bombs, Rizvi. Dropping bombs. Yes. So don't call yourself lucky. Also, yes. the other thing is I think calling yourself lucky does a disservice to other women because when mm. you say, like if I said to you, why are you successful and why have you done so well, I want to understand why so many women follow you, why so many women look to you, why so many people buy tickets to your shows, tell me how to do that. And you say, mm. I've been really lucky. That's like holding the cards to success really close to your chest where no one else can ever see them. Like no one else can learn from you if it was luck. Yeah. No one mm. else can look up to you and say, how am I going to emulate that? How am I going to make success in my career? You're not mm. helping anyone by calling yourself lucky and you're not making mm. anyone like you anymore, even if that's what you think. Normally it's me delivering these truths to you. I'm loving this. Owning your success is important. Yes. It's important. And I think sharing your success is important and talking to other people about what worked and what didn't and what you do understand and what you don't understand about what worked in your career, which is something you do all the time. You've always been so generous with me and other people. Um, I've seen you do it with sharing your experience. It's often in a blunter way that I want to hear it and often means that later that night I'm sitting there going, oh, fuck, she's right. Sorry, am I allowed to swear? Yeah, it's my podcast and so do you fucking want. But that advice is meaningful and important. It always comes from a good place. In a nice full circle moment, Miss Bitchface, I don't know why I said Bitchface. <laughs> I've never called it in my life. Lady. Sure. You've just said to me, it's very important for women to own their success. So if we may rewind back 40 odd minutes to this podcast where I said to you, well done on the last two and a half years, because here you still are. After, suck shit, your words are coming to bite you in the ass, bish. I need you to acknowledge how successful you have been navigating life in the past two and a half years. Say it. Do it. You better say it, Jamila. I could you say it about say. work. I don't know if I can say it about health stuff. It's Are hard. you joking? You've had two brain surgeries. I you didn't still do them. I was asleep. 
You had to survive them. You had to mentally prepare for them. You had yeah. to still parent a child okay. beautifully and be someone's wife and show okay. up for – you showed up. You Not sure continued I've been a very good to wife. show up. Oh, my God. Okay, all right, all right. I can do it. You I are going against all the advice you just no, gave. Okay, okay, wonderful. I can do it. Do it. <clears throat> all right. Um, I'm proud that I'm still able to keep working and that I'm doing a good job at it. I'm trying yes, very hard. I think I'm an excellent mother. You are. And despite a whole lot of shit, that little boy is doing very, very well and yes. he's a good kid and he's a happy kid. Yes. And he's a silly, wildly performative, show-offy kid. But I love him. I think that is a good thing given he's had a pretty rough few years as a result of having a sick mum and I think mm-hmm. that's because of his parents. I think we've done that well. So I think good. I have parented well and I think yes. I am working well. And you just... Lived well also. Lived well. Also. You have lived well. Trying. I owe Jim. Thank you so much for today. Um, it was exactly what I wanted. I know people are going to walk away thinking, feeling, admiring you even more. You can find Jamila at your website, jamilarisvisa.com.au or just .com? .com.au. Uh, at jamilarisvi on Instagram. Are you still on Twitter? Do you still bother with Twitter? I am still on Twitter. I'm Jamila Rizvi everywhere because no one else has my name, which is handy. (laughs) Same, Amelia Rossiano. It's only one of us. Only one of you. Thank you so much, Jam Jam. uh, I don't need to call you now about having my meltdown yesterday because we worked through it all on the podcast. It was a pleasure. Let's work through things in public again. (laughs) We always do. Have you met me? Have you been to any of my shows? (laughs) (laughs) All of them. Yeah, you have. (laughs) Thanks, Jam. Thanks, love. 